Greetings, God's beloved. Thanks for tuning in to Messages of Hope, the sermon podcast from Living Hope Lutheran Church in downtown Las Vegas. Our readings today come from the Gospel of John. We're in chapter 13, verses 1 through 17, and the preacher is Pastor Jason Adams. That's me. Thanks for listening. God bless you. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father in heaven and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Think of what I want you to do. You're going to do some work this morning, okay? I want you to think of someone who has set an example for you. Who was that person? And think about that for just a second today. Who was the person who set an example for you? Who showed you how to be and what to do with your life? Were they parents or grandparents, teachers? My father. Coaches, your father? Yeah. Pastors, maybe? Coworkers? Who was it? Who do you got? Parent, mother, yeah. Yeah, there she is. She's right there next to you. (laughs) Yeah. Helen, what do you say? Grandmother. Grandmother, yeah. They model life for us, don't they? Think about that person that you have in your mind. Did they teach you to be strong? If they taught you to be strong, raise a hand. Yeah. Did they teach you to achieve? Yeah, maybe, yeah. Uh, Did they model ways to serve others? Yeah? Did they teach you to cry? Yeah? Some of those. Some of those. Did they show you how to share your feelings? Some? Fewer? Did they give you strategies for asking for help? Very, very few. Few? Some? We don't get that as much, do we? Those Those examples are rare. And if you have one, great. If you've got somebody that taught you how to share your feelings, how to cry even, how to, how to ask for help. I don't think we have a lot of those examples in our lives. They're hard to find. And I, why is that? Why, why should that be so hard? Isn't that something that we should teach our children? I think so. I think maybe we're learning now. But anecdotal evidence will show that Lutherans especially struggle with this. A majority, anyway. I don't know, why do we not value being vulnerable as much as putting on a a brave face or faking it till we make it. We want to project strength, like we've got it all together when we go out in the world. Maybe it's just me, but I remember growing up being afraid to show my emotions at times. And I was told implicitly or explicitly uh, that I shouldn't cry or I'd be given something to cry about. that when I was hurt, I should walk it off. I was the oldest of five, and setting the example was important to me. It was important for me to get good grades and get along with people and care for my siblings. But I don't know that I learned to be vulnerable. It wasn't until much later that I'd come to see being a sensitive kid as a strength. I see it now in my kids, and... We try to encourage empathy in our house and share our feelings, work through our emotions, even when they're uncomfortable. It doesn't always come natural to us. And when we're at our best, it's good, but we're not always at our best. It's a risk to share our feelings with one another, right? They might be misinterpreted or misunderstood or unwelcome. We might not want to burden someone with the struggles we're facing. I would hope that especially here, us as followers of Jesus, who come here every week and confess that we are sinners, 
that we have failed to live up to what the Lord requires of us and who name our brokenness for what it is, that admitting our fears and weaknesses would come easily, but it doesn't always. Author Brene Brown writes, there is no intimacy without vulnerability. She says, daring greatly means the courage to be vulnerable. It means to show up and be seen, to ask for what you need, to talk about how you're feeling, to have the hard conversations. Today we hear of Jesus setting an example for vulnerability and service and love for his friends at a vital moment in his life and ministry. We'll remember back at the wedding at Cana, Jesus told his mother that his hour had not yet come. And here in this story, in chapter 13 of John's Gospel, one night before the Passover in Jerusalem, John says the hour had come for him to depart from this world and go to the Father. It's time. Scholars note that the first 12 chapters of John's Gospel take place over three years of Jesus' life and ministry. And from chapter 13 on, we enter into the last 24 hours of his earthly existence. Time slows down. Things get intimate as the life and ministry of the Savior begins to come into focus for us and for all who hear the word. We will hear Jesus begin to say goodbye to his friends and make his way to the cross. We'll hear Peter deny he even knows Jesus. We'll hear about our Lord condemned to die and, of course, his last words. This is a picture of the vulnerable Jesus, not the muscle man tearing the cross down with his amazing abs and delts. Somebody made that picture. I don't. I guess they needed it. I guess it serves a purpose. Jesus giving up his own life and following the will of the Father, bringing new life to the world. But before all that, before we get to all that stuff, it's coming. Don't worry. It's time to eat. So foot washing, of course, was a common custom, a sign of hospitality. When the host might set out a basin and a pitcher for guests to wash, or maybe maybe even a servant would assist with the task. Well, feet were dirty. Jesus and his friends were walking a lot. It's like the plot of Lord of the Rings. They walk, 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 walk. It's kind of the whole scripture, right? They were walking a long way, and sandals being the preferred footwear of the time, uh, a little water and scrubbing was in order. But things take a different shape here. And John tells us straight away that the devil was there. The devil had put it into the heart of Judas to betray Jesus. It was going to happen. And they were already eating. They were already at the table. When Jesus gets up, something's going on. What must these disciples have been thinking when their friend and teacher who had healed the sick and fed 5,000 and given sight to the blind and raised Lazarus from the dead began to wrap a towel around him, bend down and start washing their feet. And he didn't hesitate either. When he got to Judas, the betrayer, he got washed too. But when he got to Peter, the disciple protests. Oh no, you're not going to wash my feet. Not now, not ever, Peter seems to say. It's been a, a couple of years, but here in this church, we've washed feet 
on Monday, Thursday, just before we have communion together. And most don't hesitate, if you haven't been here for that, but we understand it might be uncomfortable at first. We don't want to show each other our feet, let alone touch them. Why? Most of us wear shoes. We're not walking around dusty dirt roads all day, stepping in stuff. We have, uh, we have city, city sewage. Peter's dogs were much nastier, you can imagine. His feet were dirty for a reason. Our feet tell stories. They should be dirty too. They should be out in the mud and the muck and marked by acts of sacrificial giving and service and love. We don't have to be afraid of showing off our feet, but unless you were a world-class ballerina, anyone, anyone, no? Uh, or lost a toe in a farming accident, anyone, anyone? Most of our feet probably look the same. And once you get the hang of it, washing feels kind of nice. This act of humility and love has power to take us out of ourselves and, and demonstrate our care for one another, symbolizes our commitment to serve the world around us. And just one more foot story. I, I remember not long ago, uh, 90 years of age, Marie Bohr sat in the chair while five-year-old Dana came up that Monday, Monday Thursday night. Some of you were here, maybe remember this. And Dana picked up that towel to wash Marie's feet. And they took turns. If you were here and saw that, I'm sure you remember that too. But Peter's objection, it's reverence for the teacher. He doesn't want the teacher to lower himself to wash his feet. Who's upsetting the status quo once again by taking up the towel himself. But Jesus cautions him, unless I wash you, you have no share with me. Well, now, oh, you know Peter, he's all in. He's all in. He claims he wants more of what Jesus has to offer. Will he be all in later? Just the feet, Jesus tells him. The feet are enough. The rest of you are good. But not everyone. He knows what Judas will do. But even so, he gets back up and he goes back to the table to explain what has happened. And just like in the previous chapters, we hear of Jesus performing a sign followed by some discussion and Jesus' explanation. He tells them he has blessed them, shown love and humility as a demonstration of how they will be called to act in the world after he's gone to the Father. They will be called to teach and heal and serve and proclaim forgiveness until they drink from that same cup as their Lord. He had blessed them. It was a blessing to go and wash the feet of his students. A, year, a few years back, my friend Otis uh, had a couple of extra gym bags for carting around Taekwondo equipment. He wanted to give them to us as a gift. They're big bags. They cost money. And I said, uh, they're not cheap. I said, can I give you some money for these bags? And he said, don't you take away my blessing. <laughs> Stop me in my tracks. I went, oh. For him to give this gift was a blessing. For me to pay or, or make it even was not what he was looking for. That's what he wanted to do. So when we struggle to be vulnerable or share our true feelings with one another, we risk taking away the blessing. We risk taking away the blessing of ones who are called to care for us, the ones who share our lives and show up for us. 
When we hide what we really need from one another, we miss out on intimacy in our life together. It gives a different meaning to that saying, what would Jesus do also? Jesus asks, do you know what I have done to you? He teaches his disciples to go the extra mile, to lower themselves for one another, to be humble, to serve, and to do the unexpected thing for one another. He's teaching us that too, that we are to care for each other, for the neighbor and the stranger. Be vulnerable with one another. Listen to each other's stories to show up. The law says, be afraid. Hide your dirty feet away and don't let anyone know where you've been. Jesus says, look what I've done for you. Don't be afraid. You're already clean. We've already been washed. We've been cleaned uh, of our sin and our sticky dirt of our shame and the nasty fungus of our failure and forgiven of all our hangnails and blisters. Through God's grace and love in Jesus. This basin and and pitcher, it's a symbol of the diaconate in the church. The community of deacons. Those called and ordained to the ministry of word and service. And I've known deacons who have served for decades in churches and preaching and leading parachurch ministries. uh, Non-traditional ministries like Lutheran Men and Mission or leading music, outreach organizations, campus ministry. They're out there. They're washing feet. Sometimes literally, other times serving in a variety of ways that demonstrate the power of listening, caring, feeding, healing, healing the creation and the people that God so loves. But that's for all of us to do too. We are a priesthood of all believers, so we are called to serve, to hear the word, to proclaim forgiveness and the gospel of Jesus, to go out and wash feet. Literally and figuratively, you choose. (laughs) We get to go out and do these things, to be vulnerable with one another, to be intimate and to share in those moments where we get to show up. We all get to be foot washers as we follow Jesus. And we don't need to be afraid to share where we've been and what we've been through when we know our Lord has knelt down to make us clean and in true vulnerability has been lifted up for our sin for the sake of intimacy and love with the whole world. God's grace has covered us and cleansed us that we might have faith and serve one another in the same way. Amen.